0: This podcast episode is sponsored by Navy Pro Tools. As business owners of Ever Pretty Beauty Studio, we understand the importance of using the highest quality tools and hygiene products. We instantly fell in love with Navy Pro Tools when we first invested in
1: their cuticle pushers named Ethel and Doris. Their titanium coating gives them their signature gold look but also helps minimize cross contamination, and we were
0: blown away by their precision. Hygiene has always been a top priority in the studio, and using the Navy three step hygiene process has allowed us to work safely and effectively, giving us full confidence. Navy's hygiene system has been created with the help from Dr. Fenton, an infection prevention and control expert. If you wish to place an order, you can use our code PRETTY10 for 10% discount. Welcome to the Beauty Edit Podcast, a podcast solely dedicated to the nail and beauty industry. In today's episode, we are joined by Millie Kendall, MBE, CEO of the British Beauty Council, to talk about the important topic beauty stereotypes. Like us, you may have experienced an occasion where you are being misjudged and labelled with an unfair stereotype based on the beauty industry. This year alone has proven that as individuals within this growing industry,
1: we can be smart, determined and strong and far from the typical misconceptions such as uneducated and materialistic. We will be discussing with Millie the importance of squashing these stereotypes and how together we can unite and support this important message. Hi Millie. Hi. Thank you for joining us.
2: Thank you for having me.
1: Oh, it's a pleasure. You're a very hard lady to... To, to track down
2: <laughs> yeah, my, my kids say the same thing <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, well this episode uh, we wanted to discuss stereotypes basically within the beauty industry it got me and Shelby thinking obviously with the first lockdown and um, everything that went on in parliament regarding mm-hmm. the beauty industry um, with Boris um, I think the other William. guy was William. William right? Was it? William Rag. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I bet he's lying low now.
2: <laughs> we had to call off the dogs because I think he was. It was. It was starting to get a little bit. Um, I, I was a bit worried actually because the beauty industry really bit back. Yeah. Really fought back, and I was a little worried that some of the, um, the Twitter frenzy, um, was um going to impact him in such a negative way that I was actually worried for him.
0: Yeah, we're not actually on Twitter, so we no, didn't necessarily see the side of Twitter. We were just seeing the side on Instagram really. Yeah. And the news, obviously.
1: Yeah. Um Yeah, I don't I don't think I personally don't think it was intentional. I you know I don't think it was intentional at us personally. Yeah. I just think they just didn't think and Everything's so raw with everything that's happened this year that it just felt like we were already wounded. as it As it was, we we just didn't yeah. need just didn't need that mockery, really.
2: I think it's um I think in in it's sort of twofold. I, I agree. I don't think he intended to. He personally intended to mock the industry. I think he stood up actually to speak on behalf of one of his constituents. But yeah. when Boris made a joke, he laughed along with it, which yeah. is just know, it's not it's reprehensible so you know it's not appropriate it's not appropriate to laugh at anybody's business um so um it it did it it hit a raw nerve you know we were in a terrible situation um and this is an industry that's predominantly female and when two men are laughing about having their nails done Mm. um in parliament And okay, yes, there's a jovial element to when they talk to each other, my honourable gentleman. I mean, the whole thing's hysterical anyway. But, you know, it doesn't help when you've been out of work for four or five months. Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh,
2: Just in bad taste, really. Just in bad taste, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah. It did get me and Shelby just talking amongst ourselves about stereotypes and maybe some of the experiences that we'd had Um, coming into the industry um, which is what we'd like to talk to you about today um, if we can.
2: Possibly one of my favourite topics. Oh
1: really? (laughs) Oh fun. Before we get started then would you mind giving us a little introduction to yourself, your career and obviously the British Beauty Council?
2: Um yes yeah, so actually this is a really good topic for me because it's really the reason the raison d'être for the British Beauty Council was because I'd experienced a life of stereo being stereotyped um and um this is personal and professional my dad's a hairdresser uh he fled the united kingdom in the 70s to open a salon in california because i think he felt stereotyped you know i'm a hairdresser therefore I'm not as intelligent as my lawyer, doctor friends, mm-hmm. uh, therefore, uh, I don't get invited to the dinner parties, et cetera, that kind of thing. Uh, or I, if I am at an event, people don't talk to me in the same way, or they just ask me what they can do with my, you know, what can you do with my hair? Um, and I don't think he wanted that for his children. And, um, I, my career I've sort of been a bit of a jack of all trades, master of none. I'm I'm not a makeup artist, not a beauty therapist, not a hairdresser, but I've dabbled in all of it. So I do have a license to do those things, but um in in from America actually, but I don't um I'm not very good at any of them. I very <laughs> much respect people that are very good at those things because there's a real talent that yeah. I just unfortunately I just don't have it. My brain can't compute and it can't make my hands do what my hands need to do. So um I just have a lifelong respect for people that work um as technicians practitioners and um uh, the way I see it as artists um in our sector. And I have an MBE for services to the cosmetics industry and um if ever I go on a date and somebody asks me what it's for and I say services to the cosmetics industry they fall on the floor laughing as no. if it's absolutely hilarious. And I'm just sick of it, you know, um just being blonde um I left school at fifteen, you know there's an amazing um um sort of um there's an amazing array of careers for people that don't either complete education or don't go on to higher education, but yet rather than be held up as an amazing sector for having a wide demographic of employee. And a fantastic um, entry level or entry point for people, regardless of um, where they live, where they're from, and what level of education they have, were just deemed as being stupid. Yeah, yeah. and people couldn't do anything else. And um, I know many, many people in the in the industry that have come from all walks of life and all areas um, of of um, from education and. I don't think any of them are stupid.
1: No, I, I don't
2: think they're all brilliant.
1: I do, so. and it's such it's such a shame that you've touched on everything that it, it is a, a stereotype. Um, like mm. me and me and Shelby were just chatting, and I am not academic at all. I'm forty six year old, and I'd sit at school and I'd be like, "What's everybody writing?" You know, like I were like, I just I just it didn't click, it just didn't click um, but that's not to say I was stupid. Do you know I'm not stupid no. by any means, you know, I can quickly put together a website, you know other things that interest me, I can do um I can do most things with my hands, I can create things, but I'm not academic
2: um and but I- talking about a website is really interesting because I mean I'm a bit older than you, but <laughs> but um we didn't have that option when we yeah. were younger so there were no there was no sort of hey writing code or yeah. you can be a graphic designer or we didn't have I mean okay you, you can be you could have been a graphic designer but we didn't have the technology back then so we were really limited whereas the youth today the world's at their fingertips yeah you know it's a real time to to sort of look at our sector and go okay wait you don't have to um it's not about just doing beauty therapy. You could have a podcast, you could, you know, create websites for a living, you could start an e-commerce platform, you could be a pr- product technologist or a packaging designer or you know, yeah, work on the regulatory side of stuff. It's not just about, you know, our industry isn't a, a narrow funnel either. Yeah. If you see what I mean. I mean, yeah. I I really liked maths. I wasn't not I wasn't not academic. I just have got like the raw energy and I couldn't sit there all day. I've got terrible ADHD. I'd probably sleep four hours a night and I just was bored to to death. I needed to get out of there. And I wanted to make money, you know?
0: Yeah, that was me. That was like when I got to, what, 16 and, you know, I mean, I only left school eight years ago, so I probably am on that more, the youth that you just mentioned where yeah, the yeah. Royston options um yeah. but I went to like a careers meeting which so like my next step would have been staying on for like um sixth form going to college and um she said to me so we've looked at your grades and you know what would you like to do so I said oh I've already enrolled at college so she was like fantastic what will you be going to do so I said "Oh, I've um, signed up for level two beauty therapy and honestly her jaw just dropped and she's looking at me and she's going, well, why are you doing that? And I said, because that's what I want to do. So, honest, she was saying you should stay on for your A levels, do your A level math, do your A level biology. You could go on to university, and I was like, but I don't want to do that. If I'm being honest, I just want to go and earn some money right now. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, it's something yeah. you'd wanted to do from a really, really young age. Yeah. Was, was going to beauty. Um,
2: I, think, I think there's a level of freedom as well. I mean, I think. Funny enough, I was literally just before I came on this call, I was writing a piece for a friend of mine is a hairdresser called Sam McKnight. And he's got a sort of strand of content that he puts out. And it's about various hairdressers, for example, and how they got into what they did that what they do now. Yeah. Session hairdressers or salon hairdressers. And they asked me to write a piece for them about a hairdresser that we were both friendly with who died. And ironically, I have his biography. Um, he had written his biography before he passed away and I have it sitting in my office here at home. And I got it out and he was very bright at school and he'd been offered a place at university, but he was um, mixed race, half Nigerian, half Irish. And he felt that if he went on to university, it would be a real struggle for him because of the where he came from and how he would have to mix with various people he didn't feel particularly comfortable with. And so he um went on to he got a Saturday job or holiday job at a hair salon in Knightsbridge <laughs> and started by washing Anna Winter's hair, who's obviously the editor of American Vogue. And so, you know, we we get into this for various different reasons, but there is a sort of creative freedom around yeah in the industry and earning money. And for him, he come from a life of care homes, and so. To, to be able to work at the age of 18 and make money and, you know, surround himself by creative, really cool people. That was a sense of freedom and independence that you might not have got somewhere else.
0: Yeah, I think that's what it was for me with the independence side of it. Like I was determined that I was going to pass my driving test at 17. My friends were all going off to university at 18 and were still, you know, having to go do lectures and education and spend nights partying and I just weren't down for that I just wanted to you know earn some good money and go on I wanted to go on holidays I wanted to experience things which my friends weren't doing they were still stuck in that sort of like nine to five education researching writing essays and I were over it at that point
2: yeah and now if you look at the jobs market or we look at the jobs market perhaps in the future you might find that a lot of those jobs that can be automated are they're going to be the people that will struggle because our industry cannot be automated you know we are hands-on industry and people will rely on us that you you could never you can't you can try to give yourself a facial but good luck (laughs) traction not going to work you know there are elements to our industry that cannot be replicated by a computer or a robot you know it just doesn't happen it's not going to happen so I think in that respect I mean I mean I guess I guess sort of going back to your original question all of this for me has been the reason to create the British Beauty Council there was no organized body that spoke in an in a sort of um, advocacy way on behalf of the industry nobody was standing up for the industry there's a lot of trade bodies they're all amazing and they do education, training, insurance, uh, compliance, HR services, legal services, all of that kind of stuff, which is very, very much needed for an industry that isn't regulated. Mm -hmm. But there was nobody really shouting from the rooftops about the sector. And pre-COVID, that to me was something that needed to be done. And so, um, and I wasn't the only person to think like this. I mean, you know, I've got friends that own products or that are makeup artists or hairdressers or beauty therapists or nail techs or, um, you know, work for big corporations or own e-commerce platforms or work in PR or media. And, you know, I have friends from all over the the sector and everybody felt the same. You know, if you are a beauty journalist, you are not regarded at the same level as a business journalist or a fashion journalist or a features journalist because it's beauty it's the silly stuff that women do
1: do you know but it counts for so much the industry itself counts for so much um money for the UK yeah. you yeah. know it's, well, it's... the
2: first thing that we did the first thing that we did was value the industry because we felt that if we didn't create a definition and then evaluation valuation we would never be taken seriously by government. And that's now been used everywhere. I yeah, mean, yeah. every single government agency has used our valuation, which is pretty remarkable given that we only launched it in July last year. Yeah. Um, but, you know, just, I mean, the, the valuation is one part of it. Obviously our cultural contribution, the creative contribution, the contribution to mental health and wellbeing. I mean, I don't think I would have gotten through. Do you know, I've noticed, okay, during lockdown, I've had more baths than I have ever had in my life. And sometimes just at two o'clock in the afternoon when I'm feeling really stressed.
1: Yeah.
2: Just have a bath. Yeah, I love a bath. I do. I I'm do. a bath get girl. Some, get some redox. It's not even something that I consider. I, normally I wouldn't do it.
1: I just I just think it is such a good release is having a bath. Even just it's almost like just taking yourself to the bathroom and just locking door. (laughs) Do you know even if you don't get in the bath. (laughs)
2: Yeah. I don't know why. just I'm a really big fan of Aromatherapy Associates Deep Relax. I don't know if you've ever used that.
1: No, I don't think I have.
2: If you haven't, get yourself a small bottle of Aromatherapy Associates Deep Relax. It will absolutely bloody change your life it is the most amazing thing um it's a fantastic blend essential oil blend um and just put a couple of drops in the bath it is like you could be any spa in in the world me and shelby
1: will be buying some of that as soon
2: as we come off this podcast it is really and they do these they've just developed these amazing shower oils that um when you use them they turn the shower into a spa and i i'm not saying that as a sort of that's not a PR selling thing. It's not a. am not sort of coining their marketing at all. I'm saying that from personal experience.
1: Oh. It's pretty amazing. We need to uh, try. We'll let you know, really. Yeah.
2: But, you know, I wouldn't have gotten through COVID without our industry and the products and uh, the regime and, yeah. uh, you know.
0: I think as well, you know, we're talking from our point of view, but even from a client's point of view, the beauty industry has a major impact on their mental health. Like we've got clients and I can hand on heart say that they come to us, not because they actually want the nails doing, but because they come for that social aspect, that getting out of the house, coming and having a chat, you know, that release, they can, you know, rant at you about whatever's been stressing them out that that week. Um, And the beauty industry is needed. There's a need
1: and there's a call for it. It is. I think I think we are desperately underrated as to what goes into our training what we have to learn yeah. you know like client consultation contraindications you know anatomy and physiology
2: um yeah.
1: actually carrying out the treatment is a skill in itself you know we we are born empaths you know yeah. we are yeah. i I also you know, with c- counselors, therapists. Yeah,
2: and also having spent four years with a an American president who is the complete polar opposite of that, um, I think. We've <laughs> been, you know, I think that, but I, I have to say, and this is literally the God's honest truth. The first thing I did when I came out of lockdown was I drove an hour and a half outside of London to get my nails done because somebody offered, and my daughter and I, when the lockdown was over, when the restriction was lifted, we. Literally got in the car on a Friday. I mean, ridiculous. Drove out of London on a Friday. (laughs) Are you crazy? An hour and a half drive, about two and a half hours. Uh, We went to somebody's home where she has a salon in her home, had our nails done. And, and, um, I mean, it probably cost me more. I mean, I paid for it. Of course, I would never take anything for free, but, um, it probably cost me more than it would if I went around the corner. But, I just felt like I needed that sort of getaway experience. And now I don't have my nails done because I actually took off my gels myself last week and, um, I can't wait. That's like the thing I want to, you know, looking as you get older, your hands are the biggest tells, you know, telltale of your age, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. And I just think having nice nails has become so important to me for feeling good about myself. So that's so, I mean, you know, I Is think that some of, I don't I know. A lot, I lot of people feel like, like that. Yeah, I I think a lot of people do. I mean, I don't look at my own face all day long. <laughs> <laughs> I, look my, I look at my hands. Yeah. You know, because my hands are right in front of my face all day long. You know, it's not. Um, it's little things like that. It's just, you know, um, and I, I guess we became quite resilient. So you know, I didn't have my roots done, but I did I did buy some Joshua's, um blonde root spray um to get me through the Zooms.
0: <laughs> um, well, my roots were literally like down to my ears during the first lockdown. <laughs> Honestly, as soon as I could get back to the hairdresser, I was there. Yeah, yeah, definitely.
2: I mean, I think that they're all kind of, you know, <clears throat> I don't think anybody realised, maybe we did, because we're in the industry, but I'm not sure the general public realised how much they want their hairdresser i mean there was um a number that one of our patrons at the british beauty council so just so just to caveat we are a non-profit that that's really important and we are um we are um supported by patrons who basically allow us to do the work that we do um and one of our patrons is Treatwell, and they actually sent me some stats over uh last last week um which showed the number of bookings that two days before this lockdown yep oh my god you've never seen anything like it and it's higher in the uk than it is anywhere else in europe and they've all gone into lockdowns as well so our bookings um were massively higher
0: yeah. across
2: hair, hair and beauty
0: where and- on the street well. Um, our salons on Treatwell, and we experienced we actually experienced people trying to get in the monday tuesday wednesday that we remained open before lockdown but then we've also had new clients booking in on the 3rd of december in the hope that we'll be back open yeah
2: yeah of course yeah no i'm not surprised i mean i'm not surprised at all i mean it's just um i mean the stats are astounding and it's so much higher than than you know than other Um, I'm just having a look. It's something like over seventeen thousand appointments on the first of November. Yeah, you know that is that's huge. Yeah, you know, and it's um, it beats uh Germany, Belgium, and France massively. I think Germany had fourteen thousand, France only had six and a bit thousand.
1: Oh Oh my my gosh! gosh. Yeah, the
2: days before lockdown. Yeah. Wow. And then I think Belgium had something like 2,000. We are 17,000, mm-hmm. almost 8,000. I think it looks that's like That's a lot. It's a lot.
1: When you've just said it now, then, Millie, it, I don't think you actually realize until you then compare to other countries. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's astounding.
2: I mean, that's one platform.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, and there is many out
0: there
2: out then. that's three days before lockdown on the 1st of november Was and, then,
0: and then you've got all the people that don't even use you know an actual booking system that can pick up the booking some people will still be just doing clients contacting and booking in, in a paper diary mm-hmm. um yeah. so yeah
2: i mean but the but the difference in the uk i mean i just don't think that when we when we first went into lockdown, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why the government don't recognise or haven't recognised our industry. And yeah, part of it is the sort of misogyny and the sort of stereotype of, you know, beauty girls who just do this as a bit of a hobby and it's not very serious. That's definitely part of it. But the other part of it is, is that the way our industry is classified at government level has not been updated since 1948. Ooh, so each industry has what they call standard industrial classification codes. Ours is not even a code. It's a subsection of a code. We're wedged in between funeral services and dry cleaning services. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> oh Although funeral services should have one of its own too because everyone's going to need that at some point. Yeah. So... um and um so we're 96.02 9602 something like that or 96.04 9602 but 96 is the code it's other personal services and we are a subsection of that so we don't even have a code in itself and it just says hair and other beauty treatments so it doesn't even specify what those treatments are and so what happens is is that when government look at us as an industry there's no concept of the depth and breadth so when they did that awful staggered reopening of beauty yeah they sort of thought well if you can't cut hair you oh no if you can't if you can't do eyebrows you can just cut hair and if you can't do you know waxing you can just do makeup and you can't do makeup you can just do pedicules or if you can't, you know they just don't understand they think yeah. that it's all interchangeable
0: yeah i i know that i can't go and do lashes Do you know i can't just change to another treatment like we specialise in nails and that's, that's where we stand and that's what we offer. But, you know, the industry, there's so many different parts to it mm. that generally people can't. So I couldn't cut somebody's hair and hairdressers can't do nails. You can't mm. just switch and change like
2: that, can yeah. you? No. They just, don't, they just don't know that because to them it's one code, hair and other beauty treatments.
1: Why do you think, Millie, that's not being updated in like 80
2: years? Um because uh the funny thing is my mum was born in nineteen forty-eight, so I can tell you right now it's seventy-two. <laughs> <laughs> Seventy-three. No, seventy-two. Um so I'll tell um I'll tell you why that is, is because there was supposed to be a review. There's a there's an organ so basically it's um Europe wide. Um and um it's um it takes a lot to get all of the European Commissions to agree. Um and there is an organization called nace and they're supposed to be reviewing it the last review was in 2013 and it didn't happen oh basically it's just one of those things that it is what it is and they update and add things like you know maybe in 1948 you didn't have um the technology wasn't the same so maybe yeah. you've got tech industries that have started so that add to it but they won't adjust. Um, but I've I've specifically put in um, a um, request, or I've lobbied for a review, and I've proposed what the classification should be.
0: Yeah. And well, they- this year it's proven that we obviously need it, don't we?
2: Yeah. Well, I think they 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 really struggled during COVID to to sort of figure out who we are and where we where we yeah. sit and what we do. So it's in their best interest to look at a review. But you know, then again, now. I've been told the NACE review won't happen this year because of COVID. They're not going to meet. and So it's, um, it'll just keep getting pushed back. And we have to keep demanding that we have um, a review of our sick codes because we can't operate adequately without them.
1: Yeah. So going back to the stereotype, like me and Shelby spoke about, Shelby was very academic at school. I wasn't academic at school. Um, what do you think? What I'd probably say is like the biggest misconception relating to the beauty industry.
2: Um, the biggest misconception. Oh my god, there's so many of them. <laughs> what are some um, of the biggest then? Uh, some of, yeah. I mean, the, the fact is, is that people just think we're stupid.
1: Yeah. I I do, I have to agree with that. I think people, I just think they think uneducated, you know, and it's not, it's not that. They just don't see what, I don't know. I think from lockdown, I think clients especially um, have valued the nail tech or the hairdresser or the barber. um, And I think it's really made them value how important we are. To making them feel good.
2: Yeah, um, I mean, I I think that well, one of the big misconceptions is is that, um, and and the, there's a real challenge here is with the sort of um, injectable side of the industry and how that's perceived and the fact that, um, because a lot of people do very short courses and then perform injectable services, um, the public think they're licensed and regulated, which we know they're not. Yeah, but that has a really bad reputational effect on people that have trained very well and for a very long time to a great degree to do things like nails hair and and other beauty treatments even makeup and so there's a real reputation problem for us one is that we're see, seen as being t- thick and that we're just doing a job that you know we couldn't do anything else um one is that it's fluffy Um, The other is that there's no value to it economically, which is absolute rubbish. Um, Our tax contributions alone pay for probably about uh, eight tenths of the NHS, of NHS nurses. So 280,000 nurses are employed in the UK. Our tax revenues for the beauty sector pays for 250,000 of those nurses.
0: Oh, my gosh.
2: Not that that money goes directly to those nurses, obviously, but yeah. if you look at the numbers, that is the equivalent of the salaries of two hundred fifty thousand nurses. That's a quarter of a million nurses. Yeah, um, that
1: that really sort of puts it into perspective, doesn't it? When you say it like that.
2: Yeah, and I and I think that that, and also the fact that okay, in some respects, it's not a massively high paid job, but if you look at some of the people in our industry that have gone on to do great things, I mean, you know, just, just the, the, the historic um, uh, people and brands in our industry from Vidal Sassoon to Anita Roddick and the body shop to Pat McGrath to Charlotte Tilbury, all starting out doing something that is a hands-on, you know, um, uh, therapy, whether it be makeup or hair or beauty or whatever, all gone on to make millions and millions become global names. Yeah, you know, we've got a long history, um, of creativity, innovation in this sector, um, and I just don't think that I just don't think anybody's really pulled it all together and created the right narrative for our industry to say, look, we're not stupid, we do work hard, we really help people, mm. um you know we some of us might not earn that much money but then a lot of people that earn le- little money to work less hours you know it's yeah. also a great job if you're a mum if you've got children to raise you can do it part time you can you can have a career have children and then go and learn how to do massage or nails or whatever yeah. you, you come into it late in life doesn't have to be a career just for young people um you know it's flexible the hours are flexible you can work from home you can work in other people's homes yeah um you know you could pretty much do it anywhere
1: millie i think i think you've just literally summed up in that in that short paragraph like our past 12 podcast episodes yeah (laughs) (laughs) um you've literally touched on so much that we spoke about like you know working around your children being flexible coming into it at a later age Um, that's what you did yeah i did and And, you know, we're not having to rely on childcare because we, you know, there's a lot of therapists out there that are working till 10 o'clock at night because they're looking after the children during the day. The husbands are coming home, taking over, you know, and then they're going to work. And it's an amazing, amazing industry to be part
2: of. And also, again, back to the whole entry level thing. It doesn't matter that, you know, we, we, you know, a lot of people talk about demographics. So, you know, where you come from, socioeconomic mobility, how do we get people from wider demographics from from, you know, um, possibly poorer backgrounds into executive level jobs? They might not be uh, privy to. Uh, the higher education perhaps or maybe things certain things aren't available to them this is a place this is an industry that is welcoming to everybody yeah Yeah. in 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 terms of our jobs market you know anybody can train to to work within our industry and as long as you work hard you can the, 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 the sky's the limit there is no ceiling here
0: yeah that's what we said as well I mean once you're in the industry you know you might start out you know with a normal apprenticeship let's say or just a normal nine-to-five job you know carrying out beauty treatments but there's so many things that that career can lead on to Mm. like I mean I mean the honestly the the opportunities are just endless aren't they I mean yeah like like we know some techs that have
1: worked really hard on on cruise ships and by God, is it long hours and hard work, but they have traveled the world and had the the best time you know yeah, just yeah. visiting other countries and meeting people. meeting people and the bonds that they've made. there's just so much to our industry that I think is overlooked um it's just a shame and we, and we need. The British Beauty Council to like no,
2: be I mean that, voice. Like I said, that's our raison d'etre. It is our mission to raise the reputation of the industry. I mean, we've got three pillars. One is reputation, which is about raising the reputation of the industry, you know, like challenges like this, making sure that we're defined, we're valued, we're represented. Undervaluation, underrepresentation, those are really. You know, those are those are real challenges for our sector. Then we've got education, which is our second pillar, and education is about promoting the depth and breadth of careers in our our sector because there, you know, people don't know that, you know, you can, um, you know, do the cruise ships, for example. when I was working in the store because I used to be a shop girl, my favorite job ever, selling <laughs> cosmetic picks in Harvey Nichols, absolutely loved it, and loads of the girls that worked on Clarins went off to do the cruise ships. Yeah. Because that was the thing you did. You were in your twenties. You were single. You were like, Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, so there were, you know, there was there were things available to us then that um, you know, maybe people don't really know about. So it's really important to kind of share that information with people. And then our our last pillar is innovation, which is really about um creating uh, a real platform for British brands and British entrepreneurs and innovators. Um, and, you know, working with new media to really promote the beauty sector as we see it, because we love it. We work in it. We love it. Um, I mean, when I think about how much I love it, I well up, like, I feel very emotional about it, which yeah. is really sweet. But I think that's, uh, that
1: just shows the passion. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah.
2: I mean, you know, I, I think that, you know, in a in a way I'd fight to the death for it really, because I do believe that it's an industry that has been underrepresented and is undervalued in a lot of different ways. And so, you know, we need to talk about our innovators, our Pat McGrath, our Charlotte Tilbury's, our, you know, John Frieda, etc. We need to talk about um, you know, the 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 a massive amount of small businesses that started around kitchen tables you know with a couple of women talking amongst themselves you know developing a product or a brand or opening a salon or whatever it might be you know there's so many amazing small businesses up and down the country that require support and deserve a platform really um to be able to share what they do
0: yeah just going back to when you said about obviously the reputation of the beauty industry.
2: Yes. And
0: is there anything that you feel that the industry maybe needs right now or should have support with to sort of raise that reputa- reputation?
2: Um well, I mean there's a lot of talk around uh regulation and licensing. Yeah. Um I'm not opposed to it personally. Um I think it's going to be a real challenge for the trade bodies to get to the point where they want to get to. And I think that the next step would be to see a roadmap developed by trade organizations to really outline how you're going to get from A to Z, because yeah. I think that's the key. Um, government will say, go away and self-regulate, but it's expensive. Um, I think regulation would really help to raise the reputation of the industry. But I think it's going to be very difficult to turn around to seasoned hairdressers, for example, and say, you have to do a test, you know, yeah. or... You know, I mean, who's going to do that? You know, it's not going to happen. So, and, you know, is it mandatory or is it, is it, you know, is it compulsory or can you just decide whether you want to opt in or opt out? I mean, how's that going to work? I I, I think, I felt like at the beginning of COVID that, that that subject, that topic would be forced with government, but it's not really taken off. Um, do you think, Millie,
1: that that will ever happen?
2: Um i think it will but not during my tenure as the ceo of the british beauty council it won't be us that do it it has to be the paid organizations because they've got paid members and they are insuring those members and if you are giving somebody insurance and they've done a one-day course in botox and fillers Mm. um then we've got a problem yeah and i Think that all of the trade organisations want to regulate so I think they have to come together and, and take a decision on it yeah even, thought, sorry even just make
1: that first step to you know what qualifications will they cover with their insurance
0: you
2: mm-hmm. know
0: that would even be a really good starting point yeah I know a few I hear quite often about a few of the companies um, like the industry bodies now not accepting um, online courses I think that feels like something that I'm hearing more and more about. That if you've done an online course, you might not be covered by your insurance anymore. Um, I think
2: for me, here's here's the basic fact if you are breaking skin or working with chemicals, you should be licensed. Yeah. I, I don't know if I would, um, I don't know if I would, if I think that you should have a license to do a blow dry, but you know. <laughs> Um, but you know, I think if you're breaking skin and you're working with chemicals, then you should be licensed. I mean, that just seems to me to be quite straightforward, but, um, yeah, I mean, I've, there's a lot of like, um, there's a lot of controversy, I think in that sort of air in the sort of beauty therapy area, particularly, you know, also with makeup, are you then going to license makeup artists?
1: Yeah. it's
2: They're not really breaking skin they're not really you know they're not using scissors there's no chemicals really involved um so it's difficult you know we have to look at the sector as a whole uh you cannot sell a cosmetic in this company in this country in this company in this country without it being regulated Mm. so why would you let somebody use, use something that wasn't that, you know, why would you let somebody use, I mean, okay, this is where I think we need to start. We firstly need to start by um, changing the education system to a degree. Yeah, And maybe Habia wouldn't agree with me, but I work with Habia quite closely on a lot of different areas, both inclusivity, representation, um, but also I have said a number of times, I think the educators, educators need to be accredited, not the courses. Yeah. Because I I do think sometimes that um, the quality of a course is based on who's teaching it.
0: Yeah, we We totally agree
1: with that, don't we? We touched on, we had a podcast um, two weeks ago now um, and it was about education and training courses. And one Mm. thing that was mentioned was the uneducated teaching the uneducated. And, And when, you know, it's quite worrying when you know you think of it like
0: that um it's it's a it's a possibility isn't it like it's going to happen
2: yeah yeah. I do think that it's definitely I think that's really important I mean I think that um we really need Habia to do it because they're the standard setting organization and we work with them so they're obviously at the lead of the education table for us in beauty and I think that um uh, what, what one of the how this came to my attention was I did a piece of work about um the represent representation of diversity in uh hair and beauty edu- education and it felt very obvious to me that beauty and hair weren't um taught you know or it wasn't mandatory within hair and beauty edu- education it turns out that theory is mandatory in hair and beauty um it is in the curriculum the problem is is that if the educator doesn't feel confident it either gets skipped over or it's not a focus or they'll talk through theory and there's no practical and so it just seemed to me to be absolutely insane that and and i then went up ironically very soon after i found all this out because you know this is this job that i'm doing is all new to me i'm it's like peeling layers of an onion. Uh, <laughs> and then I, I ended up doing a talk at um, IMATS, is it International Makeup? Anyway, one of the big makeup shows in Manchester. And um, there was, I was on a panel and it was with a bunch of um, makeup artists that work in TV and film. And girls sort of started speaking from the audience, asking questions. And she was saying that when she left the course, she was asked to become the teacher of the course. She'd had no practical experience at all
0: oh my gosh do you know it's funny you should say that though because when I went to college at like 16 mum I were an apprentice so I went to college one day a week and then the other four days a week I was in salon with mum and mum was like I'd be doing teas and coffees and sandwich runs and watching (laughs) mum carry out the treatments um before I could start carrying out the treatments myself and then at college we were doing um French manicures um just with normal nail polish of all things it's come back around Yep, and I did I did my practical examination and passed it and a couple of the girls didn't pass theirs and my tutor said to me Shelby can everyone come around Shelby's table and Shelby's going to show us how to do a French manicure (laughs) and I, I was like they're like I've only just yeah. learned it last week myself from my mum. So you know, if if the tutor can't teach the class how to do it, you know, the student will do it.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think like I did a youth training scheme, so I was I did a five day, you know, um, you do four days of appre- five days apprentice, one day working yeah. at the office.
1: Why? So very,
2: you know, very similar kind of program, and and you know, some things take years to learn, you know, to to master. Yeah, you know. I think that's really important to understand. It's not, you know...
1: I think as well, going back to just colleges in general, from talking to people and tutors that work within colleges, some of the, um, you know, literature hasn't been updated in years and years and years, and it just has Mm -hmm. not moved with the times. Um, So even just going back to like a college I think things there need to just be updated and just brought into the 20th century if I'm honest (laughs) 21st yeah
2: (laughs) even (laughs) I mean I think there's a sort of um I was when we we did a think tank with the British Beauty Council we're talking about diversity in um in in training in, in hair and beauty training and um there were a couple of people on the in my group and I managed the Afro hair group was just, that was saying that um very difficult to um uh train in in our area because we don't have that demographic represented yeah. and i said you're assuming that everybody on your course is going to stay in your village a lot of people are going to move and they're going to go to city centers because that's where the work is or okay maybe not at the moment but <laughs> you know, people migrate all over the place you know, let's be realistic. This is a multicultural world we live in. Mm. If you don't learn to do everything,
1: yeah,
2: you are not. You're doing a disservice to our industry.
1: That's I. Um, I totally agree with them, Millie, because my son's a barber, um, and he was the same. Um, he he trained and he did an apprentice as well, um, and I, he's been doing it three years now. But he was the same. We were like, oh, I can't do Afro and I was, I'm yeah. like, well, why kiting? He's like, I ain't been taught. I mean, it has now because I said to him, you need, you can't be a one-trick pony. You need, yeah. you need to be able to. What you gonna do? You don't know who's booking in online and the coming the chair. A rep-
2: you need to be able to. Rep- this is why it's very important that our industry is represented properly. And and so, you know, to me, you know, okay, all right, we we we, you know, beardgate was a bit of a thing, wasn't it, during lockdown. Um, <laughs> with the barbers being able to yeah. do sort of beard trims and, and us not being able to have our eyebrows done uh, my eyebrows virtually became a beard during <laughs> like, <laughs> um, so, so you know but but that doesn't mean to say that we don't represent the barbers and a lot of them are amazing and yeah. and I mean the thing is you just we just I don't know I think you know we've had to adapt haven't we to you know different ways of thinking and
0: yeah. you know
2: I don't know I think you know, we, we've we definitely become more resilient, but we've equally realised what we enjoy.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. I love on a Saturday afternoon going to have my nails done. Yeah. It's like I could go at four o'clock every, after, every Saturday afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> I just go in I just zone out. My my daughter, who's 13, she comes with and, you know, we just sit there and don't talk to each other, which is pretty... <laughs> yeah,
1: it's nice. Yeah. It's nice just to have some some i don't know some
0: cut off time just some peace and quiet a well, l- yeah. we we were both booked in for our um for a pedicure doing Finished with gel toes on the 28th of November absolutely yeah. gutted yeah. <laughs> and that was because it was oh, my birthday so it
1: was going to be oh, a birthday yeah. treat
2: and yeah, like now we're sure like having time to do and i didn't actually have time this lockdown because it was like such a quick turnaround i didn't have time to get anything done i got my hair done But I didn't have time to get anything else done. But I'm hoping only a month. Yeah, yeah, that's
1: like a yeah. yeah. Keep keep positive. Um, So going back to some of the statistics that you gave us, um, Mm. do you have anything that you can share with us about our industry? Just for our listeners, just some sort of like quick fire statistics that just prove that we're a force to be reckoned with.
2: Um, yeah, I can. So, um uh the beauty industry as a whole, the whole sector, including um sales of 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 goods within yeah. salons and etc., is £28.4 billion a year contribution to Britain's GDP, £27.2 billion a year in consumer spending. The majority of that is actually in hairdressing, which is six point six billion, um, and then beauty is about two billion um in beauty services um the uh there's around 83 percent of the sector is female um uh sixty-five thousand people in 2018 uh qualified to, with an mvq uh, level two or three so a lot oh, of people yeah three, so that's really positive um um and uh what other stats do i have god i've got so many um,
1: <laughs> have you got these written down or are you just firing no,
2: these off? Them off the top of my head one in every 60 jobs in the uk is within the beauty industry um so it's about six hundred thousand people are employed in the sector uh majority of those are obviously in the services sector um and they make up the largest proportion of um our workforce um uh i'm making them off the top of my head no i'm actually just um i've got a i'm remembering i think our uh economic contribute is either our economic contribution or our workforce is either the size of the whole of manchester or birmingham oh my gosh it's huge i think our contribution is about 1.3 percent of the country's gdp um all of these are available by the way to download for free on our website so when we First started, we paid about one hundred and eighty thousand pounds for a valuation of the industry and uh, Now, if you've got a business and you've ever sort of asked your accountant to value the business, you'll know that it's incredibly expensive yeah. to get a valuation done by anybody and We used a group of economists at Oxford University. Um, they are very well re- recognized and regarded by the government, and I wanted to make sure that the numbers that we had a were like you could not fault them yeah um and um uh so they they did the valuation it was one hundred eighty thousand pounds so it's a big report but the reason we paid for up front was so that you could download it for free because otherwise those kind of reports tend to be paywalled and you have to pay sort of two to three thousand pounds to download it and i didn't see why a shampoo girl which is what i was once w- should have to pay to feel a part of a, of a very valuable industry, why should she have to pay to find that information out?
1: Yeah, and I know from we used to own a candle company, um, and we had an opportunity to go on Dragons Den. Now I tried to find information how much yeah. the candle, um, company was industry. worth in in industry. Yeah, uh, was worth, and you know it was impossible. Like you say, unless I were prepared to yeah. pay. Thousands and thousands of pounds for a report which you could read and didn't even understand any. You just wanted to know the figure, do you
2: know. Yeah, it's mean, been done in a really beautiful way, and you know, we've just launched our new report called "The Courage to Change," which is about sustainability. But what we try to do is we try to create these reports and make them easily accessible and downloadable for yeah. everyone, because so, I just think that it's not inclusive if you don't if you paywall them.
1: Yeah. yeah. So where do people go, Millie? To find that information. Uh,
2: it's, it's the British Beauty Council website, uh, it should be under what we do. And there's a section called Reports. Um, and the two big ones, the Courage to Change and The Value of Beauty, are available to download Fair. for free.
0: Brilliant.
2: It's a really good read, I promise you. Really have a read of it. It's really fascinating. Yes. The other thing I would say is that there are something like 44,800. I say that like something like, but there is definitely that. Um, in March 2020, there were 44,800 salons in the UK. 12,300 were VAT registered, but of the 44,800, 100% of those are VAT and PA, or PAYE registered. So that's quite yeah. a large amount of businesses. Yeah. Um, and... The industry is growing. I think we probably add about a thousand salons a year. Wow. To our total. Yeah. Um, yeah,
1: I think, like you say, it's a force to be reckoned with, really. Um, yeah. And I think if and we people all will always
2: need it. People will always need it. You're always going to need your hair cut, your nails cut. You, you know.
0: Yeah. Yeah, there was something the other day about, um, like, is this the goodbye of the manicure or something along them lines, an article came out, and I know oh, there I were a bit of frenzy about that. I mean, why would it be? I mean, think back as to when the manicure
1: first ever came around. It were hundreds and hundreds of years ago. So it's like, if it's lasted mm. till now and products mm. are innovating and the industry's moving. I'm sorry,
2: here's, here's a really obvious thing to say, your bloody nails grow. So yeah. you need them, you know, even if it's that basic, <laughs> it's, it's they grow like hair.
0: Yeah. And we know from our salon that the majority of clients, yeah, we do still do natural manicures with normal, regular polish, which clients could buy and do at home, but nobody can paint the non-dominant hand like somebody <laughs> else can. And, no you know most people come to us for like a gel polish or an enhancement yeah. service and you can't do that yourself at home no way yeah
2: no no that's so true i mean i just think you know in, and and it's a nice thing to do i mean i wouldn't even say it's a treat because i think to actually even say that beauty services are a treat is doing a disservice to something that i feel is a necessity really i mean mm-hmm my nails grow I need them taken care of I need them shaped even Mm. if I don't have any polish put on it I can't file my nails the way my manicurist does so um do you know
1: I don't I don't smoke um
2: mm.
1: I'm not a big drinker so if I want to spend my money on something I want to spend it on having my nails done it Mm. I like it I like like what you said Millie like I don't look in the mirror Itself very rarely, but since we've been on this podcast, I'm looking at my nails. You know, like I'm rubbing my nails because they're nice and
2: smooth. One of my nails really does need to be filed. It's really, (laughs) but you know, it's little things, isn't it? That yeah. So I think I very I speak with my hands and like with Zoom, and I think this is something that people need to consider. Yes, you want your hair to look nice, your makeup, but there is really when your hat my hands get closer sometimes to the camera than my face does, (laughs) and I think. I don't want my hands to not look good yeah yeah I'm desperate to have and because I do this every winter I do I'm gonna go with a greige and then I go and have the greige done and I go too dull I'll change it to orange I always have orange nails during the winter because it makes me feel happy and pick me up and um, and then when I'm tan I'll go back to the greige but I just I just really want my nails my nails done i might actually try and paint them myself tonight
0: it won't be the same we can tell you that now yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah let's know how it goes <laughs>
2: yeah, don't. It'll be
0: so um to wrap things up um yeah. one of like the final questions that we've got for you um is is there anything that we can do as professionals to encourage um, sort of like more people to the industry, but also change them typical stereotypes that we see?
2: I think professionalism is really important. I think things like this, the podcast is really important, you know, in reaching as many people as you can. Um, I mean, if I could ask you for help, I would say <clears throat> tag the Treasury and everything you write about to do with our industry, because mm-hmm. we need financial support right now sector specific um I think we need to elevate the industry um via education, so we need to educate people outside of our sector. I often find that we talk to each other, yeah, you know we need to talk to people you know outside of our industry. Because I think that we need respect from outs from external sources.
0: You yeah. know,
2: I know what you do. I know how hard you work. You know, I know what benefit it is, you know, to, to the wider public. But do bankers, lawyers, doctors, you know, accountants, do they know it? And that's where we need to really promote our industry. do as well. you know what i really like to do have you ever sometimes i just buy the financial times read the financial times at the weekend you know look at what other industries are doing look at how they promote themselves look at how they're elevated you know you know it's not i mean i I think sometimes when you sort of people see me walking down the street with the financial times they think "Mm, um i really love i'll tell you what i love is do you know deja ayodeli she's a facialist She's an amazing beauty therapist. Her name is Deja. I think it's Deja's World on Twitter, but I think it's just Deja Aodeli on Instagram. She does this thing where she reads the Financial Times and then she documents things that she thinks are interesting for her role, her job as a beauty therapist. And I think that I find it so inspiring, you know, that we're looking to the outside. I think what we need to do as an industry is when we set up the British Beauty Council, for example, I really pulled from what the fashion industry had done to uplift and raise the level, the reputation of their sector. Because you have to look at other industries outside of your own. Mm. And I do sometimes think that we, uh, we sort of panic and we're like, no one respects us, no one respects us, but we're not really finding solutions to how we're going to get those outsiders looking at us differently. Yeah. And I think we have to be grown up. We have to own it. We have to talk about the numbers and talk about those numbers to people that aren't in our industry.
1: Yeah.
2: You know, yeah, we've, we are a, like, I said, you know, a force to be reckoned with in, in terms of, our, you know, our valuable contribution to Britain. Yeah. That's a big chunk of money, almost 30 billion pounds.
1: Yes, massive. massive. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah. Well, I think that's a really good summary, don't you? Yeah, I do. A really good sort of end
2: to To this this episode. episode. (laughs) 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 Snap. Um, Very very well versed in the value of beauty by the end of the week.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: No, I really urge you to read it. It's really fascinating, and I think you know it's good to do that kind of research, really.
1: Yeah, it just gives you that insight and that knowledge and then you know, don't you? And then when you're talking to, even if it's just your client or, I don't
0: know. Family member, friend. Anybody,
1: anybody. It's good to get them stats out there and hopefully make people aware of exactly what we do, what our industry does
0: and what we contribute.
2: Exactly, exactly. Yeah, that's the goal. Thank you
0: so much, Millie, for joining us for this podcast episode we've loved
2: having you on yeah thanks so much for the opportunity
1: thank you so much for listening to this episode if you've enjoyed our podcast please leave us a review and subscribe
0: we would love to connect with you on social media you can follow us on instagram at the beauty edit podcast or join our facebook group the beauty edit podcast society
1: thank you so much again and please do look out for another episode of the beauty edit podcast